This right. is an eight iron and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome PGA Tour winner and one of the great characters in the uh, game of golf, uh, Neil Lancaster, the Sub-70 Podcast. Neil, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Jason. Well, I see your golf game is still in pretty good shape. You're, uh, you're uh, beating up the flat bellies pretty regularly on, uh, on your PGA section down in the Carolinas. So uh, how's the game feeling? And looks like, from at least my standpoint, it's still pretty damn good. Well, I, I'm not playing as much as I used to. Actually, uh, me and my wife, we decided to start a family when I was 48 years old when I slowed down my traveling. So I got two little girls, five and eight, and I'm hanging around the house a lot. And I still want to play, but I haven't played a lot. But hopefully I'm going to try a couple of weeks in Detroit to qualify for a Champions Tour event. And the way it looks right now, I might get in the Greenbrier in two weeks and also the uh, – sanderson farms in mississippi the following week on the regular tour so i've been out walking this morning trying to get in a little better shape yeah my game's a little sketchy i hadn't i hadn't been playing a lot uh i still feel like i can play but you know and, and I, i've actually had some motive uh motivating problems to get motivated but you know hopefully i'm getting back in the groove here because i know I realistically i only have about three more years at 56 years old so i need to do something so you may get into the Sanderson, which is a regular PGA Tour event, correct? Yeah, and the Greenbrier. So, yeah, it's crazy the way the uh, rules and regs are set up on the Champions Tour is I really don't have enough career money or enough wins to play the Champions Tour. And I'll get in three to four to five regular tour events a year and really do not get any uh, – uh, Champions Tour events. I will play in the SAS in the uh, last event before the playoffs in Raleigh. They've been nice enough to give me an exemption for the last six years. And so I'll play there, and uh, hopefully if I top ten there, I'll get in the playoffs on the Champions Tour. But like I said, I'm not playing a lot of golf. I still want to play, but I'm just not putting the time in I should. When you are going to go back to the PGA Tour and play against the best of the world, does it still just get your juices kind of going of like, you know, all right, I'm going to barrel down the next couple of weeks, really practice. And is it still kind of, it's got to still be fun at your age to go out there and compete against the best in the world. Like as a competitor, it still has to get you going. I'd have to imagine. Well, yeah. I, I mean, when I play golf now, I play social golf. I do some outings. I play with my friends at home and, you know, I, I'm more of a tournament golfer. I, I kind of get more excited to play in tournaments because I've played so many and, uh, you know, you, you want to still perform well, and I, I still hit the ball long enough to play the regular tour. I Actually, now I hit the ball, I think, my third year on the tour. Uh, first first three years, I was second in driving distance behind uh, John Daly at 278, and now I roughly hit the ball 290. So I've picked up a lot of distance in the last 25 years. Due to, due to some good equipment. Yeah, technology. Um, and you kind of segued into my next uh, thing I was going to talk to you about is uh, I know how, from talking to the guys, how hard it is to get on the Champions Tour and get status out there. It's, it's, I think it's the most difficult tour to get out on. And, like, with just we had Doug Barron on, and what he accomplished is incredible. Like, it's just 
it's a kind of a closed system. So to the listeners, can you explain, even though you played in over 500 PGA Tour events, how hard it is and the difficulties of getting status on the Champions Tour and what, what, what makes it so hard for even a recognizable name like you to not be out there on a regular basis? Well, it's kind of a, as we all know, the closed door. It's a, as a lot of people say, the good old boys tour. Uh, the problem with the tour is they only have five cards available every year. So there's only five senior cards in the world. There's five in Europe, five in the United States. So you only have 10 spots you really can shoot for. And the, the tour with champions tour is actually designed, you know, through Palmer and Nicholas and all that, but they never knew that there'd be this many golfers over 50 years old that could still play golf. Um, the, uh, the regs and the rules are just so much different. The, uh, problem I have with the champions tour and a lot of players do the reason they can't get on. You can't play your way off it on the web, on the corn Ferry tour and the PGA tour. You can play your way off the tour. Uh, once you get on the champions tour, you basically stay there till you die. <laughs> so essentially, a, a, a guy with ten wins in, i.e., Jerry Kelly will be able to play with a career money earned literally until he says, "I don't want to do it anymore." There is no way for Jerry Kelly. I mean, he's still winning; he still would be exempt from the money list. But even if he was playing terrible and finishing t seventy every week he's going to be on that tour essentially as long as he wants. Is that kind of a fair statement? That's exactly the way it is. It's set up where if you have, I think it's now, if you have four wins and uh, you, you basically can't play your way off at all. They they don't do a reshuffle like the uh, champions, uh, like the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry. If you're not playing well, you get reshuffled down. On the Champions Tour, there is no reshuffle. Once you get out there, you just keep playing, and I mean, you, you play the rest of your career out till you basically don't want to play anymore. There's no way for someone to break onto it. There's exceptions. Doug Barron was an exception, um, but Doug finished. Uh, for example, Tom Gillis two years ago, he finished third his first event at Dick Sporting Good, might have been even second, and then he finished third the following week. And he was qualifying on the third week, on Monday, to try to get into the event because the rules are set up where guys are just going to be there. So basically, in my opinion, you put, you're putting a watered-down product out there. You're not playing the best players that are playing the best. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's tough. Simply, if you go right off the money list and you have the best fields every week, they should have a reshuffle like other tours do. And they just, they don't have a reshuffle. But, you know, as we all say, and they say the tour does, and they're right, play better. You have to play better, without a doubt. And I think I've got in 23 Champions Tour events, and I don't even think I've had a, I've had one top 10. I almost won at Dick's about four years ago. But there's so many guys that are over 50 years old that can really play the Champions Tour. If you look at on the Monday qualifier list, the Monday qualifier is usually stronger than the field. So you, in the way the, the way the Champions Tour is set up, you, pro, you probably got uh, Champions Tour. You probably got twenty out of the seventy-eight players that can win each week. And other than that, other guys are just walking around collecting the check. But you know, I, I, the thing is, you just want to opportunity. The whole world's expanding and they're reducing. I do not understand that. You're correct on the Monday. I don't know qualifier. why they don't go to a hundred players. Yeah, right. But and like you're, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. The the Monday qualifying for the Champions Tour 
is like a PGA Tour event from 10 years ago. It's crazy. You got major champions, recognizable names. Like, and you, can't, you know, I had Sean McKeel on. I'm like, you know, I thought when you won a major, you'd be on the Champions Tour. And he's out there grinding it on Mondays. Like, it's it's crazy the talent that is Monday qualifying for that tour. It's insane. Well, yeah, it, it is insane. For example, uh, probably six or seven years ago, Roger Chapman from Europe, he won two majors in a year. He was only exempt for 12 months after that, after his last major. So if he won in June a major, he won another major in July, his status was up in June if he didn't finish in the top 36. But the rules and the regs, there's so many guys that can play. The solution to the whole problem is you go to 100 players, you cut it to whatever you want after two days and let everybody play. You cut it to any number, 30, 40, 20, 50, whatever, you'll never see 15 guys again. I might be one of those guys, but you'll never see them again. But you have a cut. That's a competition. A competition, you have a cut. Every week on the regular tour, they have a cut. I mean, my goal when I played the tour, because the retirement plan was really good when Tiger came along, was just to make cuts. I didn't care about winning tournaments. And I made 315 cuts, and I got a good retirement plan off that. But, you know, the, the thing is, is I actually, when I turned 50 years old, I had no status on the Champions Tour, but I had status on the Web.com Tour and the PGA Tour. That, that doesn't seem right to me. I was going to ask you about that retirement. Without getting details of what it is, but how old are you when you can start? If you've made as many cuts as you did, where that starts to kick in, is it is it in your sixties, or can you say yes? I want to take it now that I'm not playing the Champions Tour. Do they? Is there? A, 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 does the player have some say in that, or is it pretty stringent? It's it's pretty much if you at 45 years old, if you don't play 15 tournaments, you have to start drawing one of your retirement plans. Okay. Okay. Which I was, I didn't play before 14 when I was, but at 50, you have to take it. Okay. And either you can take it and they can still look, they can look after it and keep it in the market for you. You can invest it how you want your retirement plan, or they sell it off to an annuity company for you and you get a lump sum every month. So there's different ways you can do it. But yeah. It was, and it's, it definitely helps. Retirement plan on the show is great. It's yeah. Great. Yeah, so it makes sense too, right? For the sense that you were out there for that long making that many cuts, helping the PGA Tour have a profitable product, you should be tied into that in the long run in retirement, right? I mean, it makes sense. You helped you helped that product. You were on a lot of weekends. You made a bunch of cuts. Well, that seems fair. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I guess so. You know, Tiger Woods brought so much to the game. I mean, he, he brought the retirement package in for all his players. Um and, you know, I, I played a lot of golf tournaments out there, and I had a good career. I think I was fully exempt for seven, 16 or 17 years. And it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of depressing when you get 50 years old and, you you know, you're aging out on the regular tour and you, you have nowhere to go after 16 or 17 years fully exempt. And then you just – I didn't have anywhere to play. And like I said, if my my solution to the whole thing is have a cut. You just can't play your way off the Champions Tour. It's 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 not really a competition. It's it's more of a pro am circuit, and the pro ams are great. All the senior players they do a great job in the pro ams. They make they they're so much better than when we were on tour because we're all trying to make a cut. 
there's so many arguments to so many points that on the Champions Tour, it's unbelievable. But lots of times you can't even understand where, you, where you're at because they change the rules and the regs every year to favor better players with bigger names. I mean, to me, a name's a name. There's great players out there. I mean, you got Darren Clark. He turned 50. He plays. He has no status on that tour now. He's not a tour member. But he's, he'll have to get a sponsor exemption every week to play, which is fine. He's a name. But you still got, and I'm not saying this about him, but you still got to perform to a certain level. I mean, I don't want to go out and play three days and shoot 80, 81, and I'm coming up the 18th hole on Sunday and collecting an $800 check. I'm too embarrassed at 24 over. I don't want, I don't want to do that. I'd rather go home. But a lot of guys play just to get that $800 check. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like I said, with having some of the guys on the podcast, always an interesting conversation of of the Champions Tour and how it's set up. And like I said, makes the Doug Barron story, you know, is so cool to have him on because he, he's the anomaly. Like, it's so hard for what he did. So it's a, it's a great story. But it's, well, hey, you know what? You get into an event this year and you win, there you go, right? It's, uh, you know, there's still, there's still a little out there that you can get in a few of them. So hopefully you play well. And, it, you know, it's, uh, like you said, good play takes care of things. It does come to playing better. It, it definitely does. When I do get in, I, I haven't played well. I haven't played horrible, but it's 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 really hard to compete when you only get in once out of every two months. I mean, you need competitive rounds. Every professional golfer needs competitive rounds, and they're just hard to find when you're off the tour. Um, but Doug Barron, what really interests me, too, is on the coverage that day, they just kept calling him a Monday qualifier. Uh, I'm sorry, but he was a Thursday qualifier. He pre-qualified to qualify. And then, so he basically, he was a pre-qualifier to a qualifier to win in the tournament. And he led from start to finish. I mean, what a great story. And Doug's a great guy, and it's well-deserved. They need more stories like that. They really do. I, I don't know how you do it, but I don't know what they need to do, but I have a lot of suggestions of what they could do. But it's like when you talk to somebody out on the Champions Tour. It's such a good old boys tour. I understand. They played their whole career 25 years. They, they don't want anybody else out there. But, you know, open the tour up. You need to open it up. You got some stars coming. I mean, but – or lower the age. It wouldn't hurt if they lowered the age to 48. You know, then guys that are still hanging on on the tour could go right out there. They got Ernie Ailes coming. He's going to help them. But, I mean, they need couples to play more. Davis Love. I mean, they, they need the stars, but it still should be performance-based. It shouldn't just be, let's give you this money just to show up. You still should have to earn something. It's uh, I, agree. I mean, just from a golf fan standpoint, I was more intrigued on the Dick Sporting Goods tournament to see how Barron would handle it than I was the regular tour event just because it's a great, I mean, it's such a cool story, right? And and I know those guys down there a little bit in, in Memphis and got to know Sean a little bit and guys who know him. So I was drawn in by it. Like, I agree with you. Like, I think it's, I think it'd be great to watch more guys that you've recognized from the PGA Tour really playing some damn good golf and getting themselves ready and seeing that competition out there even better. I, I, I have no arguments for what you're saying. I'd, as a golf fan, I'd be totally fine with a, you know, a three-day tournament with a two-day cut and then let the last 40 guys or whatever fire it out and, you know, 
it's uh, I think that, like you said, the competition would be better. So I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think it would help oh, the sure. Champions Tour. It, it, it put, yeah, it puts like every. I guarantee you the ratings on the Champions Tour, which are very low, and I don't know because I think it's because it's a watered down product. But if you give everybody a shot at it, the Doug Barron story is the greatest story of the year on the Champions Tour. I mean, Doug went out, he earned his way. I mean, you got guys that are showing up every week. I mean, just look at the field this week where they're playing. You'll see guys that are playing in the field that haven't played in 10 years. I think you should show some kind of act, be active somehow to play. I mean, I don't want to sit at home for 10 years and then go out there and think I can play because I can't if I do that. I hear you. But the thing about it is, I, I, I. you, you need to open up the tours. I mean, the the, re, the regular tour, uh, it's going great. And, you know, the playoffs I thought was pretty good. I didn't even watch it. I really didn't. It's just like you knew it was going to be the three guys, T- Thomas, McElroy, or uh, uh, Kepka. And, you know, the, the majors are where it's at. Kepka's proven that. But I, I don't know what all the answers are, but I need a place to play, and I feel like I deserve a place to play after 17 years on the tour. But I just don't have one. But maybe I can qualify and do something. But they say golf's in a good place. I believe it is in a good place. More kids are playing. We have kids here who want to play every day. And that's what the game needs. We need to bring these people, you know, bring people back into it, make the game fun again. I'm with you on that. You know, the changes in architecture and stuff seem to make sense where every golf course that was built in the 90s, it's like how hard can we make this damn thing? That's changed a little bit. That You know, like the newer projects that people are falling in love with, to me, are a little bit more, definitely more playable. Um, kind of like the courses, you know, I'm 46 years old, the ones I grew up on, the nine-holer, right? There wasn't forced carries and it wasn't a torture chamber. You just kind of learned how to play. And and I think it was a wonderful way to to learn the game. So I'm glad. I, I like the general direction of where golf is going from that standpoint and make it enjoyable for people and, and let them get out there and go and play. And, and it's difficult enough of a game to learn uh, and play well, right? So if we can get young kids out there and, and make it a little bit easier for everybody, I'm totally fine with that. I'm sure your opinion is probably the same. I don't you know, want to put words in your mouth, but I think uh, – we may have lost our way in the 90s a little bit and early 2000s on golf course architecture, and hopefully now we're kind of learning from that and bringing more people back. Correct, uh, without a doubt. We, we're, where I live down here, we have two 6,500-yard golf courses, and you can play them at 5,500, and people love to go out and play them. But when you go play a golf course with a 260 carry, there's no way they can play them, and it discourages them, and they don't, they don't want to play the game anymore. But the... the uh, the kids are getting back into it. I know a lot of them here are, and that's good. I mean, we, we went through the big housing boom back in the day, so we had to build everything 7,800 yards. The ball, you know, everybody's worried about how far these guys are hitting it. Well, obviously, the difference when I played the tour and when, when nowadays, you see no rough. Now, this past week at the Tour Championship, they had some rough around the greens, and they had a little bit in the – but it, and look at the scoring. The scoring wasn't that great. I mean, it was a tough golf course. It was right in front of you. There was no balls they had to hit 280 yards over water. But, you know, if, if you want to control the game in the professional level, you could, weather controls everything. And grow, grow rough. Just grow rough. 
you could put them on a 6,800-yard golf course. For example, Hilton Head's one of the toughest golf courses there is. They shoot 8 to 11 under every year, and somebody wins a golf tournament down there. It's not long, but they've lengthened it now, but they didn't need to because still 8 under was winning the tournament because you got to put the ball in a position. The, the game is now just, you know, hit it hard as you can, go find it, hit it again. You know, we've always had a slow play problem. I mean, they've had that for years, but now they want to come to light and make people out, examples out of people. And, you know, you shouldn't call people out. Everybody takes too long to play, in my opinion. And I think that goes back to the college game. I mean, really, did I mean, you've never lined the ball up from one foot. Now they put a line on it and they get down almost on their knees and aim it from two feet. I mean, that takes a lot of time to do from two feet. I mean, it's almost like the money's gotten so big that that is, it, it almost ruins it's still a game. We should play it as a game. Now we're playing it as a business. Everybody's traveling with chefs and trainers and private jets. It's like I, I just don't I don't I don't know. It's it's hard for me to watch to watch the game. Lots on T V because I, I know the politics of the game and there's a lot of that in the pro level, but you know, as far as the amateurs that's what it should be about. You should, you know, when, when you've been lucky as I have to play golf, and somebody comes up and talks to you, let's speak to them and have a good time with them. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask you about this, but you know, since you brought it up, do, do you think some of these players, in your opinion, with the whole, let's just call it the team, you know, they've got their team of stuff, do you think they'd be better off almost doing it like your generation or Mr. Nicholas where, you know, he would go see his teacher in Ohio I don't know, a couple times a year, and he would just go find it in the dirt and go play his game. Do you do you think sometimes it's it's overdone? Where you, in the one that comes to my mind at this point, I don't know if what your opinion is is like Jordan Spieth looks like he's you know stuck in trying to do seventeen different things versus when he first came out looks like he just kind of had his swing and yeah there was a little bit of you know uh, non traditional golf positions but he's made it work and played with kind of a freedom and had that great run. And now it's sort of, to me, from the outside, looks clogged a little bit or it's working on too much stuff. Do you, do you think sometimes it can get overdone where that the swing guru and the team and stuff can kind of take out that player's natural ability just to get the ball in the hole? Well, there's, there's no doubt about it. Jordan Spieth, what, what Brandel Chambly hit on it best, and Brandel's great, I mean, because Brandel, he kind of, says what he wants to say and you know most time he's right about it but he's got to figure it out himself he can go see Cameron McCormick all he wants but Cameron McCormick's not going to hit a shot off a side he'll lie for the tournament to win it's you know and that's what always got me about golf is you, you practice on a driving range and it's flat and you hit everybody says man I really hit it good on the driving range well, you hit it on the first hole and you're standing on a side slope. You've been hitting off flat lies all day. So there's a, still an art to getting the ball in the hole. You have to get the ball in the hole. And and Jordan Spieth, and he, he, his first year or second year on the tour when he won the three majors and was going for the slam, people need to realize that's probably the greatest, greatest year he's ever going to have in his career. Nobody has a year like that. He had that year. He'll never have that year again. So he's probably got some added pressure to himself. He's added some to himself. But, you know, it, it's just that he had the career year in one year. 
And the thing about it is there's so much money in the game now. What worries me is these kids come out of college, this wolf kid and this, uh, I can't even remember the other kid's name, but from UCLA, but, and Jordan Spieth and them, but let's just say Jordan Spieth made $250 million in, and he's 20, I don't know, 27 years old, maybe. Yeah, I think he's 26. Yeah. What's really his drive? I mean, the guy's comfortable for the rest of his life. I'm more worried about him burning out at 30 and the stars all be gone. Yeah, I would be worried that burnout's going to be the thing that these kids. Well, Champions Tour, right? What's the Champions Tour look like in 20 years? Are these guys going to go out there and do this after their bodies are shot from swinging as hard as you can with this equipment and they've got more money you're ever going to spend? Is Jason Day really going to go and play when he's 49 years old and half broken down? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, and, and plus, Mickelson's getting ready to turn 50. Ernie's getting ready to turn 50. And there's a rumor out there that they're going to go to 50 players on that tour. I've heard it from a lot of players. But I've been out trying to qualify that the Champions Tours, thinking about going to 50 players on the tour and uh, have first place for $1 million every week. Because Mickelson and them, they've made so much money and played for so much money, they don't want to go out there and play for 340000 first place. I th- I, you know, it's that that that's a rumor that's going around now, and it could happen. You know, it could be a it could be an exhibition tour. The problem is we got so many golfers with nowhere to play. We just we got so many golfers. We've been we've been reducing fields. The whole world's expanding. We're reducing. I I, I don't understand that at all. I mean, it's we're going from we were at that six, four years ago. We were at eighty. 81 players on the Champions Tour. Now we're down to 78. But what's three more players? Yeah, and then do these guys with this much money, and I guess the point I'm saying is even in swinging as hard as they do with this new equipment, you can see the injuries that are happening. Is the cha- Mike, will the Champions Tour even be a real viable product if you kept it at 50, 20 years from now for the age to go in? Or will those guys look at it like – like guys in baseball where they play from 20 to 40 and by 40 their body is so worn out from doing it and swung so hard and basically broken down do they say I don't want to go out there and shoot 74 74 uh, you know 74 74 74 three rounds and shoot you know 12 over I I, I can't put the work into almost like Greg Norman right Greg Norman turned 50 is like I, I I'm not doing it my body's shot I don't want to put the work in there's other opportunities I'm not I'm not going to go out there and does is that going to be the norm of these superstars going forward 20 years from now? That, I guess that's my question from 10,000 feet. And It could be. You just don't know. I think a lot of guys play the Champions Tour now that are not competitive, and they play because they've always played, and that's where most of their buddies are, and they get to see them every week and go to dinner with them and play a few rounds of golf. And I just They know they're not competitive, but, they played golf on the road for 25 years, and that's all their friends are on the road, basically, because uh, they spent their whole life on the road. But as far as tearing your body up, the, the equipment is so hard now. I mean, every ball is basically the same. It's just got to – they might make one softer, but everyone's a hard core. There's no rubber bands. I've gone through a knee surgery, a shoulder surgery, a neck, a knee, a shoulder, a neck, and at this moment right now I have – trigger finger in one of my hands i haven't even been able to hold a club i've had five shots in the last three months and my whole game was i had great hands and 
I really believe it's because the ball's so hard I'm having problems with my hands. And I've hit so many golf balls. But, you know, it's hard to keep going, and these guys are working out so hard. I fully believe Tiger Woods, he worked out so hard, that's why he's injured. I saw he had knee surgery yesterday, I think. But, yeah, yeah, the equipment's hard. Everybody's working hard. But it's it's hard to say, you know. I don't think they're going to go out there and play for a little money as, as they're playing for. Because in the scheme of things, if you love the game, you shouldn't be playing for the money anyway. I play it for the competition. I play it because I'm a competitive guy. I don't care what they play for. I just want to play with the best. I was fortunate enough to play with Tiger Woods four times. He won three of the tournaments. I beat him all four rounds that I played with him on Saturday. And somebody said, aren't you nervous? Aren't you, won't you, you know, you're playing with Tiger Woods everybody at home. You're playing with Tiger Woods tomorrow. Well, I said, yeah. They said, well, you'll be, you know, Tiger Woods this, Tiger Woods that. And Tiger Woods is the greatest player ever, in my opinion, from what he's had, the people he's had to beat. And and I said, sure, I'll be nervous. But in any competition, anybody that's competitive, I said, I want to play with the best. I'll play better if I play with the best. If you play with the best, you'll play better in anything, any sport. I fully believe that. I mean, so you want to see what the best has got. What's the best doing that you're not doing? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely if I go to no. Champions Tour yeah. event, I want to play with Bernhard Langer. Bernhard Langer's slow, but I want to play with him every day because he's the best. So that I want to play with Bernhard every day. Well, I think that's every good golfer wants to. I, I'd rather, you know, I'm, I can still play pretty well, but I'm not a plus handicap. I love it when I get to play with plus handicap guys. I love watching that. I love to try to, you know, see what they do and how I can still get better even at my age. Yeah, I love it. I love it when those guys are playing at that level of seeing a plus two or three up close and and just, you know, trying to see what you can learn, what you can gain from it. Uh, and it's it's way more fun to me than playing with a, you know, unless it's a really good buddy, a 15 handicap. I'd much rather go up against the better player. Oh, yeah, and, you, and you'll play better when you play with better people. I, I bet agree. you play a better game when you play with a scratch player. I agree. Yeah, you, you see things, you say, well, I, I can do that. Yeah. It's a whole different game. It's when you play with – when you got 420 handicappers, now it's a long day. Right. But, but you know, but, you know the, the thing about the great, that's great about the game, though, is I have buddies that don't even have established handicap. They, I went to high school with all of them. They all started playing golf when they were 40 years old. We all played other sports. And every one of them say, man, I wish I'd have played this game earlier. Everyone. I got buddies that are baseball players. I wish I started golf, not played baseball. But they go out and they're 25 handicappers, four of them, and they're not even playing for a score. They're playing to have a good time and out for the day. That that's the way. And I and I go play with them, and we have a good day, and I ride around and 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 enjoy playing with them. But the thing about it is, the better the player, the better you're gonna play with. I agree. Hey everyone, it's Jason from the Sub Seventy Podcast. Uh, some great news for us on the golf club side this week. Uh, my golf spy voted the sub 70 pro fairway wood as the best value in golf in the fairway wood category for 2019 super exciting for us uh, to be a part of the competition and then to win a segment of it's absolutely great Uh, we knew the club was uh, performing very well but to have them back it up is uh, it's a huge honor so encourage everyone to take a look at the results on that thanks for all the support uh, for sub 70 golf clubs uh, this season if you want to check it out on the website, go to golfsub70.com. We're always uh, happy to answer any questions that you may have. And uh, as a sidebar to this as well, we've been out of 699 irons for a few weeks. Uh, 
just can't quite keep up with demand, which I guess is a good problem, but we never really want to run out either. But anyhow, those are back in stock, and uh, if there's anything we can do to help you with that as well, by all means, let us know. Thanks again for all the support. Hope you're enjoying the podcast with Neil. And if you need anything from us, just let us know. Thanks again. When you when you played with Tiger, what what's that circus like of just, I mean, I, and I agree, like, I'm with you. Like, I would want it. I can understand as a competitor how you'd want, you know, put me with him. I want to see what he's got. But what's the, what's that atmosphere like in that arena playing with him? You know, what was, was there anything that was interesting to you or you didn't expect? Or was it pretty much exactly you knew you were in for it and you embrace it and let's, let's go and tee it up and see what happens? You know, what was sort of your takeaway of it? Well, you you know what you're getting into to start with. You know you're going to have the big crowd. We were playing in Flint, Michigan. A good story is uh, we were playing, and it was pouring rain, got on the first hole. He was sponsored by Buick at the time. Buick had about four events, and it's raining, and we get on the first hole, and it's a par five at Flint, and the fairway was lined both sides of it, four deep. Every nationality that there is was there. And it's raining. We're standing on the umbrella, and I, I walk up there beside him, and I went, whoa. I said, there's a lot of people here today. I said, I bet you would pray for rain every day so you wouldn't have this big a crowd. And he he's such a good guy, really. He looked at me and said, I thought they were here to see you, cuz. <laughs> I said, <laughs> yeah. So he lightened the mood up, and he was actually great to play with. He was great to play with. If, if he had a two-foot putt, he would mark it. And, and and let you finish before he finished because he knew if he finished, the, the crowd would just run off on you. But he's the needle. He he is the needle. They can all say that they all need to be – everybody in golf needs to be thanking him for what he's brought to this game. You know, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player and, and, and those guys, they, 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 they brought the attention to the game. Sam Snead back in his day, they all brought the attention to the game, but Tiger brought the money. Tiger brought the money. Arnold made the money, and Ty- Arnold brought some money. But the tour wasn't that big. But Tiger brings the money, and I mean, I- I'd be out probably looking a job today if it wasn't for Tiger. I mean, he 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 brought me where I'm. Yeah, how I'm- good was it up close? Like when you saw him, when you saw it up close, and you were playing with him, and and you were playing with him in his prime before all the injuries and the personal stuff. How good was that game as a, as a professional yourself and playing out there at a very high level for a long period of time? What was what was that thing that he had that it was was just you know call it greatness or you know once in a generation player? When you saw it up close, what did you see from that? Well, his mind was so good. It's, it's what I would say. I, I didn't see him do anything. He was a great putter, as we all know. I mean, him and Nicholas. Him, him and Jack Nicholas, if, if, in Nicholas's prime and Tiger back when he was really in his prime, if they had a, if he had an eight footer, you could go to commercial. It was good. He wasn't going to miss it. But his mind was, his, his mind was phenomenal. He hit the ball just like all of us. He, he didn't hit the ball no better than these guys that hit the ball better. But his mind, you know, he was trying to flight shots low, high, curve them into the wind, stuff like that. But far as his mind, he, he thought he could do anything with it. And he could. And and most of the guys out there can do anything with it. But he, he looked like a guy when I played with him. When you're walking down the fairway, he refused to lose. That's a cliche, but he refused to lose. 
he, he, he would not let anything get in his way of what he was determined to do. That's, that's what I saw in him. And, and when I was playing with him, you know, a lot of guys say, like, you're playing with Ty. I was, I was trying to do my own thing, so I really wasn't watching him. I, I, I didn't feel like I was playing him. I was playing the golf course. I, I, didn't, really, I didn't really watch him that much. And, you know, he, and, and, and what people got to understand is it's a competition. And, and, and I'm doing my thing. He's doing his thing. And so-and-so is doing his thing. And everybody does their thing different. And I just was – I was doing mine, and he was doing his. And at the end of the day, we shook hands and said we enjoyed it. But his mind was something phenomenal. I thought. Did you play many rounds with Mickelson when you were out there? I was. I was. Uh, I, I never got to play around with Phil. Never played around with him. And he was the same way, though. He just refused to lose. You could see it. They both hit the driver everywhere in the day. Everywhere. And what happens? You know, Phil's getting age on him now, and he's trying to change his body and all that, but. That's what's crazy. The best best players ever been in the last forty years weren't really straight drivers of the ball. They just hit it, went and found it, and got it in the hole. You know that they had shots. They could move the ball around. I played with Corey Pavin a couple of years ago in the Champions Tour event at the, in Baltimore at the uh, TPC, and he shot sixteen, six, fifteen under the first two days. And he was hitting shots you just couldn't believe. I'd be up there with a six iron on a par three. He'd be up there with a four wood, and he'd curve that thing and put. He'd mash it like a like a pool ball. And I'm a field player too, and I got to talking to him. And and Corey went through some tough times when the ball and the equipment changed because he couldn't curve the ball. But I asked him. I said, Corey, how, how how did you finally learn how to curve this ball? And he said, Whatever I did, I just had to do more of it. So, you know, when he's making those funny swings and trying to cut across it, he's trying to cut across it even more now. But that guy, now you're talking about a guy that's amazing and the art of the game. He played the game. And he's a guy that refused to lose. His golf swing wasn't perfect, but he refused to lose. That's what all your great players do. Speech going through some stuff right now, but people got to realize he made every putt that he looked at the year he won three majors. I mean, it's hard to duplicate that. But the thing is, most of those guys, Brooks, uh, that Brooks, Brooks Pecker, he, he, uh, his, his mind, he says he just goes out and hits it. But his mind, and that's what they, and you can either like him or hate him or whatever, but his mind's so strong, he just, he re- looks like he refuses and leaves. And if he, he does, he just, you know, he picks himself up and goes off to the next day. Like he said Sunday, he said it's hard to bring it every day. The best players in the world don't bring it every day. But when they're on, they're on. I had to ask you about this I was when I was doing my research for the, the podcast, that you had a golf lesson with Raymond Floyd's dad, LB. And is, is and my question has to be, as tough as Raymond is, you know, and the, the whole intimidation factor, what was his dad like? He was uh, actually, he was, uh, it was, it was kind of a funny lesson is I was, uh, I think it was my second year on tour. And I said, man, I got to get better. And you know how a lot of guys try to get better and get worse. <laughs> well, I went through some of that. And I had never taken a lesson. I actually learned how to play on a little old golf course with, uh, you know, not very good condition. But I, my, my grandfather and 
my dad, they, they put Maxwell House coffee cans in the yard around the house, and that's kind of how I started. And uh, so I decided I'm going to go get me a lesson. So I went down to see, I called Mr. Floyd, and he said, yeah, come on down. Well, we went, I went down and walked in, and he, he said, I'll be out in a minute. And I got a cart, and he told me to go drive, and range warmed up. And he drove out, and he had a little old dog sitting in the cart with him, a three-wheeler. Still had the old Cushman three-wheeler cart. And he's sitting there, and we talked a minute. And I hit a few shots, and he said, okay, let's go out and play a few, and I'll just watch you from a distance. So I went out and played four or five holes and came in, and we'd ride up. And he never said a word. And we uh, came, got finished, to, and I came in, and I walked in the pro shop and went into his office, and I said, uh, I thank you for your time, Mr. Floyd. I said, what do you think I need to do? And he said, you got it, son. Just go play the game. And that was that, – that actually was – confirming to me that I, I was just playing the game anyway because the way I grew up playing the game, I really didn't need any swing mechanics or anything like that. And so I got up and got ready to leave, and he said, oh, by the way, you owe me $250. <laughs> and I said, okay, thank you, Mr. Floyd. Really? He just... So I paid him, and, but he, 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 he just kind of he kind of confirmed that I had it. You know, I was worried about I need to get better and do this and do that, and he said, his his confirmation to me was everybody does it different. You kind of got it, you know. Go go play the game, and that and it was probably one of the best lessons I ever had. And then I started trying to get technical and taking technical lessons, and I lost it. I tried to start putting the club in positions, and I lost it. Trying every swing in the world. That's the craziest thing to me about this game, Jason. Is Ben Hogan wrote the five fundamentals of golf. And they're basically grip, stance, ball position. And now everybody has a different theory on how you – you can go see the four top teachers in the world and all four of them tell you something different. That makes no sense to me. If there's one theory to the game that's worked for years and years and years, why is everybody trying to give everybody different theories? I mean, I'm not bashing anybody, but the hottest teacher in that golf is George Gankus. I'm 56 years old. If I want to, and he told me to swing like that and do all that turning and dropping the club and get lower to the ground and all that, I, I probably wouldn't make it back to the airport to get on the plane. I'd be hurt so bad. You know, that's a young man's swing, I guess. I don't see anybody doing that on tour. But I guess the way I look at it is if there's five fundamentals, why don't we just basically go to the five fundamentals? Well, I sort of agree. I think like I, do, I think Butch Harmon does a really good job with his players. And you think about you know he's worked with Kalka Vecchia and Dustin Johnson and those guys, right? And there's like those swings couldn't be you know any different. And yet, like he seems to kind of let his players he's working with have their natural golf swing and just sort of what fine tunes it, something like that. I mean, he's he's not you know Jimmy Ballard where it's all one style of you know the his system. I think the best teachers just sort of let the players uh, play their natural game and maybe just tighten up small fundamentals, essentially, and, what, play half-psychologist to them, right? I mean, a lot of Butch's guys have had different golf swings, and he seems to get the, exactly. he seems to get the best out of his players. Exactly. Butch Harmon, is, like you said, he takes what they got and he works with it, with what they got. A lot of teachers take what you got and they try to overhaul you. Butch Harmon takes what you got and just tinkers with it a little bit. He doesn't try to change or, 
that much at all, and he's a great motivator. Obviously, he's one of the greatest motivators ever. Because when he go, guys go see him, they believe in what he's telling them, and and you never come see him come back and and swing different or anything like that. I mean, Ricky Fowler made one little adjustment. Right, and, and you know he's one of the top players in the world. Right, just get. I mean, he just had the club get a little but more. But you upgrade. don't see anybody. Yeah. Oh yeah, I went to see a guy, and he. I went to see a guy in California, and he was a teacher for Stephen Ames. And Stephen Ames was a. He hit seventy-one out of seventy-two greens at the TPC when he won it, and his swing looked beautiful. I said, "I'm going to see this guy." Well, he tried to teach me a swing just like Stephen Ames. He wanted me to shut the face going back get to the top, drop the arms, wait a little bit, then turn. I'm like, whoa, man, this is so much. He didn't take anything that I worked with. I always I, – I learned to play the game by <laughs> looking at pictures of Trevino, Nicholas. I didn't I didn't learn the game by reading the article because it's confusing. So that's how I learned the game. But teachers in general, I don't think they take what you got and – you know, work with what you got. They they want to change everything, and I, I just don't get it. I don't know if it's it must be more money oriented or something, but I don't understand why they do that. I'm going to ask you too about the mini tour days. I know, uh, you know, 1989, you kind of went out there and started the pro career. What what was the mini tour lifestyle or scene or that grind like when you first got out there and did it? And who were some of the guys that you played with who wound up on the PGA Tour? And there has to be some great stories from that period of time. Well, we we all you know used to get in a car. Actually, uh, I, I used to travel a lot with a guy named Greg Hickman, who caddies on the Champions Tour now. He caddies for Scott Hoke and some other guys on the Champions Tour. And I had an old van. He had an old Continental, and we'd just load up and take off. And you know, if we needed to, we'd pull over and get a twenty dollar hotel. And you know, we were just playing a game, trying to make it. And we'd never been anywhere in our life. I mean, that, it was the good old days. You know, you're traveling by car. We were playing the U.S. golf tour and stuff like that. My family didn't have any money to really put me on the tour or to even go play any mini tour tournaments. And actually, I was a club pro for four years down in Mount Olive, North Carolina. I was an assistant pro down there. And I was going around the course there at Mount Olive, and I was probably averaging 64 or 5 every time I played it. And my boss, Rick Atkins, looked at me and said, I think you got a, a game, but we gotta we gotta go to some different states and see if you can play against anybody else. So I told my dad and they got a little bit of money up and I took off and played the US golf tour and a little bit of the uh uh J C Goosey tour. And I uh, played that and I didn't do real good to start with at all. I didn't play I didn't play well at all on the Goosey tour and I I entered the qualifying school and went to Palm Springs, and I think the first round I shot 81 was in last place. I was scared to death. I'd never seen anything that pretty in my life. I just walked around and looked at the mountains for about a week. <clears throat> so anyway, I just, you know, I, I went to Texas and and shot 62 in the final round, moved up to second place, and I had another tournament I was going to drive to Utah, and I went over there, and I Keith Clearwater and uh, – from Utah, he was a big thing on tour. He'd shot 64-64 Colonial. And they said, Keith Clearwater and J. Don Blake always playing the Utah Open. And I went, okay. Well, I didn't even know who J. Don Blake was. I knew who Keith Clearwater was. And uh, I went out there, and I played in it, and I won by nine. I won by nine shots, set the tournament record. And I said, well, maybe I can play this game. 
So I drove all the way back home and signed up for tour school and luckily was fortunate enough to get my card that year. And the first year I lost it and I went back to tour school and, and got it. And then I think I kept it for about 12 years. I lost it one more time, went back to tour school and got it. And then when I was 48 years old, 40, 45, 46 years old, I, I lost it. And I said, well, I'm going to go try to get my tour card back now, but daggone if I didn't finish fourth and I needed shoulder surgery so bad, I couldn't hardly hold my arm up. So I had shoulder surgery after tour school. And from that time on, I got on the medical and I couldn't get in any tournaments, but about six every other year because I failed down so far down the list. I should have probably just kept playing with a bad shoulder. And then eventually I just got to play my way where I didn't have any status left. And then I had partial status when I was 50. And I was playing, I played about three events. I actually made a cut at 52 on the regular tour. But uh, I'm just looking anywhere to play right now. I just need competitive rounds. Just need competitive rounds. But uh, So when you got on tour, you got through all, was it three stages back then still that you had to go through one, two, and three to get your card for that first go around? When I started, you had to go through one and two. And, uh, I never got through the one and two. I think they changed it after my second year trying. I think I tried. I got it. I, I think I got it on my fourth try. I think it was four tries. But yeah, it was one and two. And I remember I went up to Virginia and played. And Brad Faxon won the tour school. And uh, I didn't play well there. Either. I was scared to death the first two or three times I tried. I'd never been anywhere. Didn't know what to expect. And, uh, you know, and, and finally I just said, I, I just keep playing. I just kept, and then finally I was, I, I never forget it. I was at the players championship the first year I ever played in it. And Jack Nicholas said good morning to me in the locker room. That was a big thing. That was a big deal. And I went into the restroom and Jack Nicholas came into the restroom and we stood beside each other at the, in the bathroom. And, was, and I, he spoke to me, good morning. How are you, Neil? And I said, good, Mr. Nicholas because I believe he deserved to be called Mr. Nicholas, which gets me to this day why people don't call him Mr. Nicholas. They call him Jack. A 25-year-old calling an 80-year-old Mr. Ni- Mr. Nicholas is his name, Mr. Watson. But I looked at him, and I walked out the door, and I said, you know, he put his pants on just like I did this morning. And he's a, not, he's a nice man. And it, it just kind of settled me to where I knew I could play. It was just when he he treated me like a normal person. And I was like, wow, he, he's a superstar. And he treated me like he's the best player that's ever played the game. And he treated me like I was his son almost. And when I walked out the door, I was like, I can play this game a little bit. And I started playing better from that moment on. That's kind of what you needed to get over that. You know, it's like I said, it's a whole new arena. It has to be. Some... Yeah, I feel like I just fit in, like I could play with these guys. I'm going to talk to you, too, about your victory. Um, 94 Byron Nelson, it all comes together. You win on the PGA Tour. A hell of an accomplishment, you know, and and what's that feeling like? And then also, what's it like to spend time uh, with Mr. Nelson after you win an event like that? Well, it was it was awesome, actually. You know, it was it, it was kind of a... It was awesome to win the event. I, I, you know, now that we look back on it after it was only 36 holes, it was called the half Nelson. We knew we weren't going to play a lot of golf. We just, they were just trying to get as much as they could in. And, and I went out on, 
I guess it was Sunday morning. It might even been Monday. I can't even remember. And, you know, I birdied the last four holes. And they were like, this is probably going to be the final round. I went, really? And to go into a playoff, went into a, the largest playoff ever. I think it was six-man playoff. And I never forget, everybody was on the driving range hitting balls, getting ready for the playoff. And they're like, Neil, you're not going to hit any balls. I said, why? We're only going to play one hole. I'm going to hit two shots, and I better make a birdie. So, you know, made birdie there. And craziest thing in golf was Mark Rolfing picked me in the playoff. Where he came up with that, I don't know. And uh, so luckily I buried the whole one tournament. And then, you know, to hang out with Mr. Nelson and go around and all the volunteers and meet all the people and, you know, have a pretty good party. And it was just nice. You know, you really, when, when at that time, you know, I didn't know Mr. Nelson that well. I was kind of shell-shocked, you know, that I'd won the golf tournament. But to have dinner with him and go to champion's dinner every year if I wanted to, it was pretty cool to be in that elite club with uh, Mr. Nelson and uh, his wife, Peggy. She's the sweetest woman in the world. But, you know, it was a great accomplishment, and I was proud of it. And, but I, uh, but I, it, it always was in the back of my mind. It was a 36-hole rain event. I needed to really win a 72-hole tournament. And then I got my chance in Canada in 2001, and I don't think I, I didn't make a bogey for – 71 holes and had a two-shot lead going the last hole and right in the middle of the fairway and pulled a seven-iron left of the green up in Canada. And not a very good shot. And I had a, a flop shot over a bunker on on a spine. The pin was sitting up on a tier. And, you know, you see, I can't even tell you how nervous I was. I'm like, just get this thing over the bunker. And I flopped it down there, and it caught the spine and ran down about 30 feet under the hole. And you're like, okay, don't be – don't don't leave this thing five feet short. So I ran it by three feet and missed it and lost in the playoff. But you know, and that that that, that was kind of my I can't believe that happened. And the great thing though was everybody wants to know, you know, why didn't you hit it in the bleachers? I'm like, hit it in the bleachers? I hadn't made a bogey in seventy one holes. I sure wasn't looking in the bleachers. <laughs> but anyway, things happen and that's what happened, but like my dad said, the funniest part is I came home that night, and he came in the next morning. I was laying in the bed asleep, and he said, uh, he said, son, how are you? I said, I'm doing good, Dad. took me all night to get home. He said, well, he said, he said thank God you won't drive a race car or fly in an airplane yesterday. You'd have killed a lot of people. <laughs> it takes that. Well, I mean, and you have to. I mean, golf can be a tough game, right? You have to move on from it, right? You know, you're playing well at, at golf. There's all kinds of stories of. I mean, golf is hard. It can be cruel, right? And even at the highest level, sure. it's, uh, it's you know, there's no guarantee. It's hard, and it's it's I, I and then I, I imagine. So when you when something like that happens. What did you then do to get over it to to put it behind you? Because in the same one token, you know, you're playing great. Then this happens on one goofy hole out of nowhere. So, do you, is there more in in the you know a week or two later? Is there more of a positive vibe from that, or is that one still sting today? That you know, son of a bitch, how did this happen? Well, I would say it probably stings more now than it did back then, because with two wins, I would have been exempt for one year on the Champions Tour. So that could have been a big deal for me, and then played well out there and still be playing out there. So, yeah, I mean, it stings more now than it, than it than it did back then. 
But like my dad said that morning, he said, when he told me that, he said, son, he said, I'm going fishing. It's hard for me to feel sorry for a man that made $450,000 yesterday. Right. So right. it's all in the perspective you look at it. And, 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 and also, like, when I went into the media room, you know, the whole media is looking for the answer. You know, John Bod, dang, what is it? What's the John Ball, Claude, what, what? John Von DeVale. But everybody's looking for the answer. You know, what, what happened? Uh, you know, what were you thinking? This and that. And I said, look, guys, I got a flight in an hour and a half. Basically, what y'all want to hear is I choked. That's the bottom line. I choked. I said, I don't know what to tell you. They said, well, why do you think this and that happened? And I said, well, the only reason I can tell you it happened is because the good Lord knew I could handle it. Nobody knows why anything's happened. Sure. You're not the first person, even playing in golf at the highest level, that's, that's had hiccups, right? It can happen. And it's, it's like I said, this oh, is where yeah. the part of golf can be cruel. It can be, you know, um, like I said, the mind can play some interesting tricks on you and negative thoughts come in. And, and like I said, it's, you talk to most of the guys, and they've all had some level of a story like that. You know, it may not have been that big of a stage, but it could be oh, a Q school or something where it's going great, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, kaboom. And, uh, you know, from doing 80 exactly. episodes of this podcast, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, it, from the guys I've talked to and the stories they've shared, it happens more than it doesn't at some point in time in your career if you're out there long enough. Oh, yeah. Things, things are going to happen. I mean... The way I look at it, look, if I, look, I have friends every day say, you know, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do this? I said, I'm a golfer. It's in my blood. I'll probably play golf till I drop dead. I said, look, if I don't ever make another dime playing golf, golf's been great to me. That's the way I look at it. If I don't ever make another dime playing golf, golf's been great to me. I mean, I've never had to work. I get to play golf every day. My job's outdoors. I can't even sit in the house. I'm walking in the driveway talking to you. I can't stay indoors. It's beautiful today, and I'm outside. I just that that's my nature. I'm I'm an outdoors guy, and I'm I just I can't sit in the house. And I, I I'll try to play somewhere every day till I die, probably. Now ch- things have changed a little bit. I don't play like I used to. I still want to play every day. I want to play golf every day. But I got two little girls. My priorities have changed. I got a great wife that looks after us. If it wasn't for her, whew, it would be a mess. But you know, you, you got you, you, I got great support at home. She wants me to play. She's just like you can't get me any tournaments. But you know, but things change, priorities change. But and I'm not pushing him to play golf. But you know, golf's a game. It's that's the problem. I started taking it as a business. They started trying to get better and get technical and all that. I lost all the reasoning for getting the ball in the hole. Well, speaking of getting the ball in the hole, I have to ask you this question. This is from, from your buddy Dale. Of the time where you had the guys come to see you play in the U.S. Open, they think you're going to have a trunk slam or you're missing the cut, then shoot 29 on nine holes and wind up having a great week uh, uh, that week out of, you know, all of a sudden the switch, you know, per se, turned around. What? What's that st- What's the backdrop of that story, and how all of us, how in the hell do you go from not playing great to shooting 29 in a U.S. Open event? Well, actually, I did that twice. The first time I did it at Shinnecock, and my dad showed up. You know, U.S. Open usually always ends on Father's Day. And I shoot 29 in the back nine at Shinnecock Hills, 
I think in 95, I'm not even sure, 95 or 90, yeah, 95, I think. And the funniest thing is my dad and them drove up to uh, Shinnecock on the weekend to watch me play because I made the cut. I paired with Fuzzy on the last day. And uh, I make the turn, no expectations. I think I start the, the final round in 70th place or something, 73rd. About 80 guys made the cut. And uh, I shoot 29 on the back nine, and I'm in fourth place. And they're telling me not to leave. I could win the tournament. And Corey ended up winning. I think I finished four over and Corey finished one over. But the funniest thing about that was uh, that one there was, you know, they stayed for the whole thing. And we get on the last hole. And I had a five iron into the green. And I looked over and my caddy was smoking a cigarette. And it was burning the tip of his fingers. He'd already been past, past the, uh, the filter. And I said, you all right? I said, are you all right, Kenny? And he said, if you party so, you'll break every record in the U.S. Open. I went, well, thanks for telling me. Now I'm nervous. So I hooked it way left over the green. Johnny Miller's first telecast. And he said uh, he'll be lucky to get this within 12 feet. And I flopped it down there three feet and made it for par and shot 29. So I walked off. I didn't know it. Course record, lowest score in nine holes in history. So the next year comes. My dad and his buddies decide to come up to uh, Bloomfield Hills in michigan uh it's raining the weather's not very good i'm 10 over par after 27 holes i think there's six of them and they drove up in a van and he comes over to 10th to hole and i snap hooked it off the tee and what's funny is i snap hooked both tee shots off the 10th tee just snap hooked them both that year i shot 20 both them 29s and so he says taps me on the shoulder he says I love you, son. He said, we're going to head on back. They got 600 miles to go home, whatever. So anyway, I hit it in the front bunker, get it up and down. Long story short, I come to, I actually had a putt to go. I missed a six-footer on 17 and then part 18 to shoot 29. Was in 14th place. They hollered right out of the TV tower. Did you shoot 29 again? I said, yeah. So they take me to the media room. I'm in there. Telephone rings. My dad and him stopped to get gas on the way back, him and a bunch of car dealers, and they walked into some store, and on the, there was a little caption of my picture up there on the television. And one of them walks out, and they were playing gin in the van, and one of them says, Charles, I think Neil did something at that U.S. Open. And we left, and Dad said, oh, God, I hope he didn't get in no trouble. <laughs> you know, like throwing clubs or something like that. <laughs> so my telephone rings, and it's my dad, and he says, uh, he said, what, what, what happened? And I said, I shot 29 on the back. And I'm in the media room. I shot 29 on the back nine. And the media said, they're in there. Answer the phone. So I answered, talked to him. And he said, uh, well, we're going to turn around and come back. And I said, Dad, don't come back. Obviously, you're bad luck. Go on home. <laughs> so they turned around and went on home. <laughs> so they, they went on home. But at the end of the year, they made the number one bonehead move of the year in Golf Digest. <laughs> Left when they the open and- and the kid shoots 29. Um, you got two more for you, and I'll, I'll get you back out to the golf course here. And like I said, I appreciate your time. These stories have been great. Um, did, did you do a lot of uh, money games on, on Tuesday on the PGA Tour to keep your game sharp? How did you sort of prepare for a tournament uh, you know, during the week, and was that one of the things that you'd like to do to, to stay competitive? Well, when I, when I first started, when I first went on the tour, hell, none of us had no money. But uh, – so we didn't play any money games, but then once we stayed and got established a little bit, uh, I used to play a lot with Mike Springer and Andy Bean and Benny Bates and uh, 
and then we'd throw in and we'd, we, you know, we'd play little games and stuff like that, but we didn't play nothing big. And then later in my career, VJ and Pat Perez and them liked to gamble. And VJ every Tuesday was going, Neil, you want to be my partner? And I go, no, I'm not playing for $2,000 a hole. Thank you, but I'm not playing. So I never did any gambling. And after I saw the golf courses, basically, I usually took Monday to rest if I didn't do a pro-am. And if I did, I'd take Tuesday to rest. But most of my practice rounds after I played the golf courses for, you know, two or three or four years, I would go out and just play the last three or four holes on the golf course and try to mentally vision myself on visualize myself on Sunday coming down the stretch and what it would be like. I would just go out and say, okay, these are the key holes. I'm going to be coming in here 14 under this week. And I would visualize and play the last three holes of the golf course and, you know, visualize the crowds and the shots I wanted to hit and try to get prepared for Sunday afternoon more than anything. But that didn't work out a lot because a lot of times I didn't have those opportunities to play the last three for a lot. Well, hey, it could still work for Friday for trying to bring it in, right? You know, exactly. You still, you still knew the shots you had to hit coming down the stretch. That's right. What people really don't understand is, you know, that, that making a cut's very important. There's a lot of pressure on guys coming Friday afternoon with three or four holes left. A lot of pressure to make the cut. There's been several times I had to part the last hole to make the cut. One year in Moline, Illinois, on a Sunday, I had Sunday we got rained out, and I had to go back on Monday morning at 7.30 and hit one shot worth 400000 for Island Green there at John Deere. And I didn't sleep all night. I had a seven iron in there, and that's probably as miserable as I've ever been in golf. I laid there all night and thought about that shot. What it would cost me if I hit it in the water. What it would make me if I made a birdie. And I luckily went out the next morning and just hit piles of seven irons and piles of seven irons, and I scraped it over there about 40 feet and two-putted, and boy, was I ready to get out of there. Yeah, there's always these interesting stories, and I agree. Like you said, you're, with the visualization you're doing, that could also come down to working on Friday, like just beating half the field. You got like, It's still a big thing, Like and I agree with you, right? You're still beating half the field of the best players in the world. That's an accomplishment. You know, as many cuts as you made, like you said, it was important to make the cut, right? Like you're still beating half of the best players in the world to go play the weekend. It's... uh yeah, I always think, like, you know, making the cut out in the PGA Tour still says something about, you know, the quality of your game or that player, how they're playing that week. You're, st- you're not, like, beating up on me. You're, you're, you're beating half the guys out there who are the greatest of what they do. So I agree with you. It's, it's still a big deal to make yeah. the cut and kind of see where you're at. Well, lots of times when you make the cut, you could free, you could free wheel. When you made the cut, you know, you could free wheel a little bit more on the weekend. You know, when you get a little age on you, things are funny. Now being 56 years old, getting ready to turn 57 next month, I, I, I'll go play sometimes and I'm like, oh, I got an 8, 10 tee time. I'm like, wow, get up. And I'm like, how did I play all those years at 8 o'clock in the morning, 730? Because, you know, when you get a little age on you, you don't want to play that early. And most of the champions tour tee times start at 10 o'clock, which is great. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, things change, but, you know, everybody would go back and do things different if they could. I would do some things different. But like I said, I've been fortunate. I've been I've been very fortunate. I got a great wife, two great kids, got a house that's paid for. Don't owe anybody any money. I mean, it's it's I'm I'm in a I'm in a great place actually. Well, my last question and uh, the two 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 or three best golf courses in the world. If you could wake up every day, they don't have to be courses that are even played on tour. You know, some of the best aren't played on tour, of course. But if you could play two or three of them that you've been fortunate enough to play. What courses are those, and what makes those courses so wonderful? 
Well, as we all say and always do, I could shoot I could shoot a hundred and walk around Pebble Beach every day. I mean, Pebble Beach is just Pebble Beach is Pebble Beach. Still hard to believe it's built by a horse and a buggy. But I mean, it'd be Pebble Beach for sure. I'd play that. You know, playing the tour for so many years, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of great golf courses that aren't tour courses that I never played. But you know, some of my favorites is uh, Pebble Beach would be one of my my all time favorites. If I'd say my all time favorite, and I'm kind of an old school guy. I mean, Harbor Town when it's in good shape and the weather's good, I love Harbor Town. I love I love the island. I love playing golf there. Um, there's so many. Some I want to play. I haven't played. I want to play the Ocean Course down at Kiowa. I've never played it because we went to it on vacation. We went out and had lunch there. What a beautiful place right on the ocean. I want to play there. Um, there's some new courses in South Carolina they've built, Congaree. I mean, but condition-wise, you know, you get spoiled playing those tour courses. Memorial, you literally got the Nicholas's course perfect. I mean, just perfect shape. I would like to play Seminole just because of the history of it. And I'm luckily enough, I, I live an hour and a half from Pinehurst. I drive over there and I can play number two for the history of it. And uh, as far as great layouts, I mean, Pebble Beach is just, that, that place is phenomenal. I mean, like Nicholas said, that's his favorite golf course. And anybody that plays it, I mean, I don't know how it couldn't be. I could shoot 100 around there and enjoy myself. And I like the little, I like the little chill in there, there and stuff like that. And Harbor Town, you know, that's just good old golf. You really gotta control your ball down there. Where do you put Augusta at in that list? I played, I've been lucky enough to play Augusta twice. And Augusta, back in the day, I think Augusta was probably the premier. But the way the game and the and the money's been spent in the golf courses, I think there's a lot of Augustas now, as far as condition wise. But the history of of Augusta. And all that you you, you want to play there. I've, I've been fortunate enough to play there twice in the tournament, and I played. Actually, I've been down and played a couple times with friends, and uh, you know, I I, I I would want to play it one more time, maybe or two more times, but it, it's not really on my bucket list. But I tell you what, as far as watching it, that's the greatest tournament to ever watch. I mean, you, you, everybody gets primed for Augusta. And, you know, to watch it on television, that's probably the number one sporting event I watch, and it really kicks the golf season off, and I, I really enjoy watching it more than I would playing it probably. But I, 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 I actually, when I played, I enjoyed the par three tournament <laughs> more than I did the tournament because I played so bad in the tournament. But uh, just the history of it is uh, unbelievable. But there's, as far as condition-wise now, there's a lot of golf courses with that kind of condition. There's one up in uh, Virginia, if you've ever get an opportunity to play it, go play called Kenlock. Very nice. It's a Vinnie Giles who's been really big in golf. He built it. That's, that's a great place, too. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I, I knew uh, this conversation would be beyond interesting, and you've had one hell of a good career on the PGA Tour and playing five, you know, over 500 events. It's something you should be proud of. You're a winner on the PGA Tour. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on and, and to talk golf and life and, and everything that you've seen. And you know, with these Champions Tour events coming up, you know, let's hope you you know find a little. Uh, motivation to get out there and it sounds like you're practicing for it and you know hey you, you get it going for three days you never know what can happen so we'll be watching you out there as well and like i said thank you so much for your time today i really really appreciate it, it was fantastic
Well, Jason, I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I've been fortunate. and Hopefully I can pull a Doug Barron story on him and can be back with you again. Well, when you when you win out there, you know, or anytime uh, you know uh, you, you're competing and you think you're playing good, give me a give me a text and we'll uh, we'll talk about it and see which direction it's heading. And uh, would love to talk to you anytime. But absolutely, when you get that first victory out there, let's come back on and talk about what it's like holding that trophy. So thanks so much and uh, keep playing well and keep grinding it out, man. Thank you, buddy. Hey, call me if you need me.